electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on Squawk Pod, fossil fuels, energy security, and the root of Europe's gas crisis with Strive Asset Management's Vivek Ramaswamy. The courses of action that Europe and the West more broadly took in systematically underinvesting in fossil fuels was not even good for the environment. The policies that got us here and the policies that will bring us out to a stable future with one of Obama's former energy officials, Christy Goldfuss. Well, how is that virtue signaling when investors are actually just asking corporations to disclose the information about their impact on the environment? Plus, some gaps in our retail spending and Bed Bath & Beyond is doing all it can to survive. And so is Snapchat. Is it all pointing to some type of serious slowdown? And finally, a different player in the future of transportation. Anything that moves, planes, trains, automobiles, whatever. We're talking hydrogen with Phil LeBeau. The hydrogen will go over the fuel cells, creating the electricity that will power semis. It's Wednesday, August 31st, 2022, and Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand by in three, two, one, fuel please. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live from the Nasdaq market side in Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee along with Joe Kernan. Becky and Andrew are off today. I need to be reminded not only what month and day it is. I need to, the other day I said, is it Monday? I really, sometimes we, you know, well, things start the days melding feel together. Differently. Like to me today feels like Thursday. Do you, you've heard the expression that, uh, well, you're probably not there yet, but as you get older, it seems like you have breakfast every hour. That's what finally starts. And now weeks seem like they're interspersed with slight little sleeping periods, but they don't feel like, it doesn't feel like seven days anymore. It goes so quickly. I, I, I try to get five or six hours of sleep and then I'm back at it. And then five right. or six hours. And then sometimes I, and you know what? The, the alarm never goes off anymore. You just wake up ahead of time. I'm already there. Snapchat, parent, usually you lay off people and in a perverse way, sometimes the stock goes up on that news, but not if it's indicating how bad business is. Uh, laying off 20% of its workforce, totaling more than 1,000 employees. If you didn't know, Snap had that many employees. That's according to a report uh, in The Verge. Uh, it says that, see, now we, Verge is a band that has some, now we could play that famous song from, from The Verge, but no, we won't do that. The layoffs are gonna begin today. Shares are falling sharply on that report, down more than 25% since the beginning uh, of July. All these media stocks have had just a yeah. terrible go of it, and all of it is advertising. Right. The decline in advertising, which we've seen. Right. And it, and it all, is it all pointing to some type of serious slowdown? That, that's on, I mean, we have two straight quarters of negative GDP, but nobody's with the, with the jobs number, which we'll get tomorrow. No one's willing to call it a recession. Right. But are we entering a pretty serious slowdown? Well, I mean, consumer confidence came out yesterday, right? Yeah. And jolts came out yesterday, and both were better than expected, which would indicate that maybe the Fed has a tougher battle to fight 
in terms of inflationary pressures. Yeah, I saw- We haven't seen, I think, a lot of these numbers show up in the data yet. We've got a news alert from Bed Bath & Beyond, which is sending the shares a lower pre-market, down 23% right now. The retailer updating investors on its moves to shore up its finances, including commitments for more than $500 million in new financing. It plans to cut 20% of employees on its corporate staff and across its supply chain. It will also shut 150 stores, discontinue some of its brands. It's decided to keep its bye-bye baby chain, saying it's more valuable as part of its portfolio. Earlier this morning, it filed to sell an additional um, amount of common shares, $12 million. Uh, at some point in the future and at the money offering to uh, pay down debt. Joe, they also offered an interim second quarter update, and I thought this is what was interesting as well. They they plan on, on spending basically all the money that they have on their balance sheet right now, which is, some, you know, just north of $100 million, um, plus a lot of their financing that they have just secured wow. um, when you just do the math. Is this a meme so, stock too, Melissa? It's okay. a meme stock, yes. What do you do to, to, to find a meme stock? Do you just find a, a company with the worst prospects for the future and, and, and just buy it? Is, is that how it works, basically, and hope that it's going to move on technical factors? Or? What, what technical the, squeezes. Squeezes. So that's um, the whole... But also the meme, so the they meme have one, lord. One idea. The meme at, lord, right. Ryan Cohen. Yeah gone into this yeah. stock. Yeah, and then he, he kind of left it. everyone hanging. And, and, and yeah. dumped it. But that, but so you only need one idea, and that's just buy the crappiest fundamentals company you can find, and then just hope for the best. That's yeah. It. Yeah. Uh, so free cash flow usage of approximately $325 million. 320, so they just secured $500 million in new financing. They have $100 million on their balance sheet. They say Comstore sales um, yeah. will decline about 26% compared Amazing. to a year ago. I mean, in the old days, Graham and Dodd, they, they, they thought you should find companies like with really good prospects, right? And good futures and solid funds. This is a new world, Joe. This is a new world. This is the new way. This is swing to, trading, to right? They look for stocks that will, tr- that will they'll be volatile, that you can trade options. Yesterday, Bed Bath & Beyond, it's a small stock, right. the fourth most actively traded single stock option in right. the U.S. Retail leakage. Uh, we we uh, promised we'd, uh, that we leakage. would get back to this because um, you, you kind of, I, I saw you raise an eyebrow. You well, thought, I didn't know what if leakage meant something Well, else. you thought I was stretching the shrinkage and leakage uh, comparison a couple of days. I, I knew that shrinkage was a real yeah, thing. Things get stolen and everything else. Right. But retail leakage is something, too. And it's kind of interesting what it is, uh, Melissa, in, in for this. Per- well, I think we, have, we, we actually built a full screen. But let's say you're in a small to medium-sized uh, community. This is where the local supply of what people are looking for just doesn't, doesn't cut it. So the demand isn't satisfied locally, and a lot of the demand leaves and goes outside the smaller, medium-sized community, uh, let, let's say to a neighboring town that has like a superstore or a national right. so retailer. instead of buying at the local grocery store, you drive and you go to Walmart in the next town and you buy this. So that's the so leakage, the money the leakage out of the and there's, Right. There's a gap there on what the local community, and they're, you know, these are fairly large communities. Some of them, and if you don't have a Chili's there, if you don't have an Outback or something like that, you, you leave and go to a restaurant somewhere else, and that's money leaving uh, the community, and it's, it's actually... I mean, I looked into it, and economists have written volumes on, on analyzing it and what it means and what you can do about it and the surplus factor and, and ways to deal with it. But Here's my question. Yeah. When you said I just like it leakage <laughs> before, yeah. did you know what the definition of leakage was? I knew was, it was like... After the fact, you Well, I knew it was like shrinkage. 
You knew, so you didn't really know and what Shrinkage, it was. And Shrinkage, I just like talking about because of Seinfeld, remember? George, he's in the pool. Everybody knows. Yeah, and leakage, you think those potato chips, right? With Alestra. The warning, right. the warning right. of what Alestra does would cause, you wonder why that product failed? It's like you read that warning and it's like, who would, I don't, give me the, the most fattening potato chips in the world. Right, I exactly. just don't want other, I, I don't want that other thing to happen. Of that. Right, I don't want that <laughs> other thing to happen under any circumstances. Coming up. <laughs> <laughs> developing new break. <laughs> developing break. news. Uh, do you remember Bino? Yes. Quiet before. Or no, Bino <laughs> before. Quiet, Quiet after. after. <laughs> I mean, we talk anyway. about all this stuff. News just breaking uh, on an investment in a hydrogen fuel cell plant in South Carolina. Phil LeBeau joins us now with the details. Hey, Phil. Joe, we don't talk about hydrogen very often when we're talking about future for vehicle transportation. So much of the focus is on EVs. But increasingly, you hear both analysts on Wall Street as well as those in the transportation industry saying hydrogen is going to get a lot more attention later this decade. Bosch announcing today that it will be building a hydrogen fuel cell plant in Anderson, South Carolina. That's the northwest part of the state. $200 million investment, creating 350 jobs with production starting in 2026. And here's the way this will work. These will be hydrogen fuel cell stacks where the hydrogen will go over the fuel cells, creating the electricity that will power semis. And that's where many people believe hydrogen fuel cells have the greatest application, long-haul commercial delivery. Nikola, if you take a look at what they're doing right now, they are working on fuel cell semis. Those deliveries are scheduled to start next year. They're already testing some of the prototypes in the Los Angeles area. And when it comes to hydrogen technology, don't forget that General Motors has a rather robust hydrotech program that is increasingly focused on improving investments and ramping up those investments. They're already working with Honda in the Detroit area. So we'll start to hear more about this over the next couple of years as increasingly hydrogen fuel cells get more attention. It's still a long ways off before we see the real world applications, but we're starting to see them put the blocks in place for future growth. That's uh, gonna be needed, I think, Phil. Um, we had a long discussion a few minutes ago about, about where we go, how long it takes to get there. What, what is your, and this is, you know, anything that moves is a Phil LeBeau subject, planes, yep. trains, automobiles, sure. whatever. What fuel source is going to fuel the future and how long is it gonna to take to get there? Is it, we got sun. We got wind. I mean, we got right. nuclear, but oh, we great, uh, great question. Now you're asking. Lot, now you're asking what's hydrogen. the fuel source for what? Well, what's the fuel source for EV batteries? Because EV batteries will ultimately be powering most of the vehicles right. in this country and around the world once you get past 2030. But then you bring up the great question: Where do you get the power? to fuel those EVs, to, to you know, put the energy into the EV batteries. Is it going to come from uh, power plants? And we know how many of those are coal-fired around the world. They're not going away anytime soon. So it's a complex question, Joe, uh, in terms of ultimately what's the fuel source there? Is it oil? Is it gas? Is it coal, especially overseas? Hydrogen might be part of it. So you're right about that, uh... That's why it will be down the road, yeah. but it's it's very early right now. But they're putting the pieces together so that ultimately, and it's long haul commercial. That's where you'll see the first applications. Do you remember Pond? <clears throat> Do you remember Pond's and Fleischman, Phil? I, I wish so much that they that they that that had been real. Cold fusion, 
great fanfare a couple years yeah. ago. Great fanfare, coal yeah. fusion. It's going right. to be unlimited energy for as far as the eye could see. Fortunately, the, the experiments were not repeatable. And I don't know if it's ever possible, Phil, but uh, we were that close. We were that close. Anyway, keep up the good work. Hydrogen. Work. Maybe hydrogen. Maybe we just heard about carbon capture. Natural gas combined with carbon capture. Will that power the grid and, and all the EVs? Ooh. Maybe you do the Elon Musk, uh, everybody's got solar panels on their house, on their roof, and you got batteries that maintain, you know, when the sun is out, and then you do your car with that. I don't know. Maybe some combination of all those things. On paper, it all sounds great, Joe. All sounds great on paper. I know. But you're not going to be flying across the... We're not going to Davos anymore anytime soon to talk about these things on private jets. That's the beauty of, uh, of the elites. All right. See you later. Thanks, Phil. Cheese will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, we're delving into Europe's energy crisis and energy security around the world with Christy Goldfuss, a former energy official for President Obama. Our reliance on fossil fuels and the moment that the petro dictator decides to cut off those supplies, that's what's causing inflation. That's what's causing gas prices to go up, not this transition to renewables. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC today with Melissa Lee and Joe Kernan. Here's Joe. Developing news out of Russia, Gazprom uh, says it has shut down gas flows through the Nord Stream 1 pipeline today. Uh, This three-day halt follows a 10-day shutdown in July. The state-owned monopoly is blaming the shutdown on what it's calling maintenance around a key uh, turbine engine. Germany, though, is disputing those claims, and CNBC's Jumana Basechi joins us now with more. Uh, hi, hi, Jumana. Good, uh, good day. Good morning. That is true, Joe. What you were saying is, is correct. Russia have announced that they are halting gas flows on that Nord Stream 1 pipeline today for a three-day maintenance period. Now, this is a key pipeline into Germany and into Europe, and volumes had already been running very low at around 20% capacity. But for the next few days, as you said, no gas at all will flow into Germany. And there's also no guarantee that these flows will resume to where they were before. But in general, European gas storage levels have been increasing. And this is worth noting, according to Gas Infrastructure Europe, 
Gas reserves are already at 80%. This is a target the EU had set for November the 1st. So this has taken some pressure off wholesale gas prices. You can see right behind me, we're looking at Dutch TTF prices. In recent days, it had spiked up to as high as 339 euros per megawatt hour. You can see right now we're down to 242 euros per megawatt hour, hour um, behind me, down about four percentage points. But the important thing here is policymakers are very much on this case. The European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen has announced that the EU would be looking to hold a summit on September the 9th to discuss energy security and how to de-link electricity prices from the jump in gas as obviously despite the encouraging storage levels a cold winter combined with very low or zero gas flows from Russia could still leave Europe very much exposed to these higher gas prices. And also just want to mention that today we've seen a much higher inflation print out of the Eurozone. These gas prices are translating into higher inflation numbers. CPI came in at 9.1 percentage points today versus July's print of 8.9 percentage point. That constitutes a 38 percent jump in energy costs year on year. So markets are reacting quite negatively to the news. And for the month as a whole, European stocks have been trading on the downside. Uh, the stock 600 down about four percentage points as we deal with this energy crisis in Europe. Joe. Jumana, uh, thank you. Let's bring in Christy Goldfuss, former Obama energy official, senior vice president of energy and environment policy at the Center for American Progress, and Vivek Ramaswamy, founder and executive chairman at Strive Asset Management. And, and, and Christy, I, I don't know, I, I'm looking at some of your notes. I just, to me, it, I, I, it just looks like Europe rushed the, the, the move to the transition um, to renewables or to clean energy, whatever you want to call it, because of pressure from the green lobby. And in the real world, it's going to have very serious consequences. It, it already is, and probably not just because of, of Putin, but we'll see what the winter brings, but already talking about even manufacturing in Germany slowing down because of this. You just say that your point is that the transition wasn't fast enough, that fossil fuels got us into this mess. And unfortunately, I think, Chrissy, they're the only thing that can get us out of this mess near term. Am I wrong? Well, it's a surprising assessment given the previous uh, just story about where Europe is right now and that through energy and efficiency and renewables, they see this path out of this. Let's be clear again about what got us here, which is that their neighbor is a petro dictator that is cutting off supplies of natural gas to Europe. And so that is what is causing the current problem. And you can't blame anything else on that situation. So uh, certainly they see the path forward through energy efficiency and renewables really over time bringing down those prices. And right now, energy efficiency is the thing that's allowing the reserves to restore to a place where they don't have to worry about this winter. But it doesn't have anything to do with the green lobby. This has to do with Putin and his war on Ukraine. Well, I know you've seen how many people have said that that Putin only has this opportunity because of, of the action that Europe took with nuclear plants and, and everything else. If renewables represent 3% of the total right now, I don't know what it would cost to make that economically feasible, even if you could make it economically feasible with wind and solar. And the only, do, you, do you dispute that the only way out of this mess for, for Europe is, is hydrocarbons? Do you say that you think renewables can help heat homes 
in Germany this winter? No, that's not what I said. Energy efficiency is what we're talking about right now. And they've been able to reduce the amount of energy they're using so that those reserves can be restored. Certainly in the short term, we are talking about fossil fuels and Really, those are what need to be around during the bridge. But we just saw Congress and the president take historic action to invest in corporations and consumers being the engine for this transition. It's not going to happen overnight. This is a decadal discussion of how we're going to get here. But the conflation of the move to renewables and energy efficiency with the action of Putin cutting off fossil fuels really kind of brings together two issues that are separate. I mean, our reliance on fossil fuels and the moment that the petro dictator decides to cut off those supplies, that's what's causing inflation. That's what's causing gas prices to go up, not this transition to renewables. Fossil fuels have brought us the type of lifestyle we're able to have right now. It is a reliance on fossil fuels because nothing else would allow us to, to do this at this point. Well, that's it's like, because the fossil fuel industry is really standing in the way of making that transition and allowing it to happen. I really believe that the investments that we're talking about over the next decade are going to put us on that path. And I mean, it's not just a matter of belief. This is what all the analysis shows. Vivek, the, where we are, I, I think we'd be further along. I don't know. What, what, what are your? Let me tell you just a, a, a quick anecdote, Vivek. We had uh, Secretary Buttigieg on. And I was talking about the same thing about, uh, you know, does the United States want to end up in the same boat as Europe? Are, are, are we rushing our transition here as well? Are we cutting off fossil fuel companies? And he said, the world, the, the world needs the United States to lead. Yes, we want to beat Germany in the transition. And it's that to me, it's just like living in some ut- utopian dreamland, some fantasy world. It is living in a fantasy world. I mean, I love Pete as a guy, but at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself not just why we blame Russia. And with all due respect to Chrissy, I know that's the standard approved talking point and lines that we have to blame Russia for this crisis. That evades the deeper question of why it is that we were so reliant on Russia in the first place. And Joe, there is one clear answer to that question. It is systematic underinvestment in fossil fuels by Europe and in the West more broadly. And you want to talk about some of those energy reduction measures in Europe? Let's be specific. In Spain, there's now a measure calling for air conditioners not to be set below 81 degrees Fahrenheit. And you know what? Winter is going to be even worse. I have a message for Europe right now. Winter is coming this year. And you want to know what Putin's thinking? Russia has a long history of outlasting its European opponents over long, cold winters. Look at Napoleon. Look at Hitler. That's the bet that Putin is making right now. And the sad part is he's probably right. So I think there's a cautionary tale there for the United States. But, Joe, I also want to put a positive point on for the United States. Okay, the number one reason that Europe is still able to live a first world lifestyle right now because of United States liquefied natural gas LNG exports. If it were not for U.S. LNG exports, Europe would be living like a third world nation right now. And you know what? The Ukraine would probably already be part of Russia. And the only reason why the U.S. is able to be a leader in LNG exports is because of the massive investments in LNG build out under the prior administration. And because actually Secretary Rick Perry under the prior administration leaned on his European counterparts to build the the regasification terminals in Europe required to use the liquefied natural gas that the U.S. exports. And so there's a bright story here for the U.S. leadership as well. But I think it is a cautionary tale for anyone who actually 
criticizes liquefied natural gas production here in the United States without recognizing that that's actually what saved the day. And so with all due respect, we can point the finger to Russia or Putin all we want. If we do not look in the mirror and ask why we put ourselves in this position in the first place, we will make the same mistake again and again. Vivek, when, when and how could you replace the lion's share of fossil fuel uh, to power the grid, to, for transportation, for um, you know, flying across oceans, everything that we do, when, what year do you see, well, number one, what, what are you talking about, solar and, and wind, or what's going to replace it? What's going to replace it, and when is that possible to satisfy the needs of this world with where we are right now, what it's allowed us to do now? What year are you talking about doing that, and what are we talking about if it's not natural gas? So, so I have two answers to that, Joe. First of all, I don't think it is this century. The second of all, I'm not even sure that's a desirable destination when we could be focusing on other solutions instead. Carbon capture. At the end of the day, there are other solutions that allow us to still utilize fossil fuels, but to do it in a way that is also more respectful of the environment. And at the end of the day, you know what's really interesting? The courses of action that Europe and the West more broadly took in systematically underinvesting in fossil fuels was not even good for the environment. Because if every unit of oil and gas production that was taking place in the US or Canada or Norway, which are some of the cleanest producers of oil and gas around the world, shifts instead to Russia and China, not only is that bad economically, not only is that bad geopolitically, it is even bad from an environmental standpoint, allegedly for staving off global climate change. Because you know what? Russia has a lot more methane leakage than in the United States. And methane is 80 times worse for global warming than carbon dioxide. And so you'd ask yourself, why are we obsessing over carbon dioxide? And the answer comes down to the psychosocial need for fulfillment. It is virtue signaling. And the problem with virtue signaling is at some point, the appearance of virtue becomes more important than being right. virtuous hey, uh, itself. I got to get back to Chrissy. We don't have a lot. And I, 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 don't, I don't mean to interrupt you. I, you didn't even say short covering and I, and I cut you off. But um, <laughs> Christy, what is going to replace... Um, what are the, the, the fuel sources that are going to replace natural gas or, or hydrocarbons? What's, going to, what's really going to do the lion's share of the heavy lifting? And do you think it can be done in, in 10, 20, 30 years? How long? It's going to be wind, solar, geothermal, nuclear. Carbon capture and storage will need to be part of that mix, absolutely. But it's going to have to be a whole array of clean sources. And that's really what you saw in the 300 plus billion of investments that came out of Congress and that President just signed into law in the Inflation Reduction Act. But I have to speak to this virtue signaling that Vivek has been bringing up over and over again and the anti-ESG mo uh, movement. This whole concept that having more information about the impact on the environment is forcing people to make decisions is really contrary to capitalism, isn't it? I mean, investors need to make decisions about short-term risk and long-term risk. What we're seeing right now is the Colorado River is drying up. That is millions of people in the United States. That's their source of, of actual water. In Europe, if we're looking at what's happening there, the issue is entirely compounded by climate change. In France right now, they can't run their nuclear power plants because they don't have enough water. So how is that virtue signaling when investors are actually just asking corporations to disclose the information about their impact on the environment? I really, I, it's completely disingenuous and tangled with the same people who are really bringing up disingenuous arguments around well, Chris, abortion Chris, and other you, you think 
that the Colorado and the, the problems in France, those would, we can change that by, you think we can actually, we can Absolutely. change that? Absolutely. Really? We so can we'll, change that. we'll We'll refill like the Colorado we when, when we drive more uh, electric, even though they're building coal factories in China unabate, unabated in India. And you it's think what that, the science that we're going we to change weather energy, and climate. Just like okay. we put advancement, just like we okay. put seatbelts in cars, we need to advance to a clean right. energy future. That I'm is waiting, correct. I'm waiting for a named hurricane uh, this year. We're going to get out of August without a named hurricane. Uh, but, but it causes more storms, more storms. Oh, that's now it's weather. They, okay, Vivek, um, we, we got to do this. We've got to fix the weather pronto. We'll see you later. Thank you, Christine. See you uh, later. Vivek. Thank you. All right, thanks. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. That's the podcast for today. Thank you so much for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, follow us here on Squawk Pod. And for extra, you can follow us at Squawk CNBC on Twitter. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.